0: We are right in the middle of our series that we began the first week of January on the Word of God, written, living, and active. And one of the reasons that we have decided to do this particular series at this particular time is because the age and culture that we live in today doesn't have a very high view of this book. That's one of the reasons that we made this the series as we began this new year. In fact, it's often said about this generation that this generation is far less biblically literate than the generations that have gone before. And the statistics would support that. In fact, according to both the Barna Group and the American Bible Society, 2014 was the first year In the United States that the percentage of people, the number of people who are biblical skeptics or Bible skeptics, that is, they believe this book to be written by men full of stories and advice, just like any other book, was equal to the number of people who are biblically engaged, that is, those who read this book regularly and believe it to be the literal inspired Word of God. First year in history that those two people groups in the United States are equal. It goes beyond that. Over the last three years, Bible skeptics have almost doubled in our nation. It's incredible the trajectory that... Our nation is headed. That's true about our culture at large. It's becoming more and more true even within the church. But what I might suggest this morning that is most prevalent within the confines of the church today is that our view of the Bible is less than the, Bible, the view the Bible has of itself. Our view of the Bible is less... Then the view the Bible has of itself. That can apply to all of us, maybe not all of us in this room are moving toward biblical skepticism, but we all can identify with that, and that's the very premise from which this series is based. What are the claims that this book makes about itself? And when we go to it and we look at it, we find that there are some audacious claims, aren't there? Claims that if we are to take serious, beg the question, do I really believe that? Do I really believe that this book is the one source for all truth? Do I really believe that this book is completely trustworthy and reliable in all things? Do I believe that this book is enough? It's enough for life and enough for relationship with God. You see, our our concern is not so much that, that knowledge about what's in this book has declined, that we don't know all the Bible stories and all the things that are in it. It's not so much that, though that's important, as it is the questions that linger about this book. Questions that linger about the source of truth or trustworthiness or sufficiency or clarity or reliability of the Word of God. See, at Fellowship, we have a very high view of Scripture. And we believe that any view of the Bible that is less than the Bible's view of itself is inadequate. And so we began this series by just looking at the claims that this book makes about itself. So you'll remember this. We began in the book of Amos. And we saw in Amos that Amos said to the Israelite nation, that there was a famine in the land, not a physical famine, but a spiritual famine, a spiritual famine in the land that is not unlike the spiritual famine in the skeptical land that we live in today. And Amos made a statement to the nation of Israel that applies to us as well. He said that material prosperity can only mask spiritual poverty for a time. In other words, we can't live very long as a spiritually impoverished people. We are thirsty for more. And you might remember this, Rob stood up here with a pitcher of water and we said that this book is like a pitcher of cool, clear, pure water. It quenches our deepest longing for this book. It's, It's filled with words of life filled with words of life that quench our thirst. And so then we went from a famine the first week to a feast the second week. I think Lloyd was down here. I I, I taught this message in Brentwood on Psalm 119, where we are just flooded with the delight of the psalmist about this book, how much he loves this book. Overcome with emotion, about the words that his God has revealed to him about himself. And he showed us how a heart that is set upon the word of God is a heart that overflows with peace and with hope, with joy, with passion. It is not just the thing that quenches our deepest longing, but it also becomes the source of our greatest delight. And we said that our hope at the end of the series, when we finish in five weeks from now, when we are done, that that we too would be like the psalmist, that we too would be finding great delight in this book. And then uh, about three weeks ago, we looked at what Jesus says about Scripture, His view of Scripture. We asked the question, what, what does the living Word say about the written Word? And we saw in the New Testament as... Kevin DeYoung so aptly describes that it is impossible to revere the Scriptures more deeply or affirm them more completely than Jesus did. Impossible. In Jesus' relationship to the Scripture, we saw that he sees these words, God's words as authoritative in his life and in ours As sufficient, certainly is inerrant as clear, and as exclusive, and so we've just been taking those words one at a time. Two weeks ago, we looked at the authority of Scripture, that it is inspired by God, that it's God-breathed, that it was written down by human authors for our good and for our benefit. And then last week, we talked about the sufficiency of Scripture, that it is enough, that it is enough for life and faith, that it is all god wanted to say and all that we need to know which brings us to this week and this week is the midway point we are five weeks in we have five weeks including today to go so you might think about this morning as halftime this is halftime we're at it right now and it might feel a bit like halftime this morning in this way in fact i want you to picture it this way In the sense that we are a team, we are teammates who have gathered in a locker room and one of us, me in this case, is going to share a little bit about our own experience in the game. That's what we're going to do this morning. It's going to be very different than a typical morning at fellowship. If the sports metaphor doesn't work that great for you, you might think about it as a small group setting in a home. And one of the people around the circle is sharing about what's going on in their spiritual life as it relates to this book. And here's why we want you to think about it that way. With all that we have done in the series, to answer some of the deeper why questions the theological footing for why we look at this book the way we do, we thought it might be helpful to take a week, step back from all of that, and get very practical. Get very practical in this way, that one of us would stand up here and talk about how how we read. Not just why we read, not just what's incredible about it, not just why we should read and the benefits that come from it, but how we go about doing it. And I'm not talking about how I prepare to teach, though it actually starts in the same way. I'm not going to talk about how I prepare to teach. I'm just going to talk about how I read it personally, how I read it devotionally in my own life. So we are doing this this morning because we thought hearing it might be helpful to many of you, and we're doing it this morning. Full disclosure here, we are doing it this morning because We want you to read it too. That's why. We want you to delight in this book. Find delight in this book. You know, we don't come to this book. We don't don't read these words. We don't long for words that are written on a page. We long for a love relationship with the God who spoke these words to us. And when we come to his words, we find his presence. In his words, we find God himself, and we want that for you. Now, two comments as I dive into how I read. Number one, if you're taking notes on the back of your program, I want you to know the title of this message is Reading God's Word. I know that it says something different there, and I don't want you to be confused by it. And then down at the bottom of that back page where you can take notes where it says "says Teacher. I just want you to know that I am not Lloyd Shadrach. I'm not Lloyd Shadrach as much as I've always wanted to be. I'm not Lloyd. My name is Bill Wellens. For those of you I haven't met, I look forward to getting to know you. Second comment, and this is important, really important for this morning. What I'm going to share with you today is descriptive, not prescriptive. Okay. Tracking with me. It, it, it's, it's a description of how I go about reading my Bible. There are lots of good ways to read your Bible. Tons. This is just one of them. There are many in this room who are diligent about this, who could stand up here and share, and we would all benefit from it. Frankly, I, I'm not near as concerned with how we read our Bibles as I am concerned with the fact that we read our Bible. So please hear it this way. This is just what I'm doing. And frankly, it's it's what I'm doing right now. It changes for me from time to time. There are times that I spend a week in 10 verses. I'm not doing that right now. I'm doing something different, which you'll hear in a minute. There's times that I write lots of observations down and times that I don't write down anything at all. It changes and varies over the course of the seasons in my life, just like it probably does yours. But I'm going to share what I'm Doing now. now, I mentioned some of you are diligent about this. Some of us struggle with this, uh, myself included. You know, when it comes to reading God, God's Word, we can try to do too much and get overwhelmed. We set these very high expectations so high that we get discouraged when we don't meet them. We think we're obligated to understand every detail of God's Word, so we're reading all these study notes, and we're trying to understand, some of us, the Greek. We think we should write a nice blog after every devotional. You know, It's like we can go there. I battle time just like you do. Find it hard to make time. We can feel ashamed when it's been so long since we sat down with our Bible the last time. I, I feel all of that. I get all of that. I could go on and on about what's true about the hurdles that we face but i want you to hear me on this this morning this is really important there is no shame in this place okay you hear me on this no shame right now none we're going to talk about reading the bible i'm right there with you all those things i just said are true in my own life and my hope for you is that as i share that you would find some peace that this is doable and that you would gain some confidence to go about it yourself, just to keep moving forward, okay? That's my desire, our desire for you this morning. Now, here, here's how I read. I'm going to start here. No matter what time um, I sit down during the day to read, my my mind is racing, all the thoughts of the day, things I need to do, et cetera, et cetera. So I can get up at 5 in the morning, which I do often, and I can sit down and I literally go from my bed to the chair, it takes about 15 seconds, and my mind's already spinning. It, it just, it's never just totally calm, at rest, and at peace. I just know that to be true about me. I know that it's hard for me to move from my head to my heart, which, is both of which obviously are part of the spiritual life, right? Both head, mind, and heart, emotion, and connection in relationship with God. And so I do a couple of things on the front end just to focus my thoughts and prepare my heart. And one of the things that I do is I write down how I'm feeling in that moment. You might just think about it this way. I write down whatever I'm bringing into the room, whatever I'm bringing into my relationship with God right then. And of course, every single day is different. It's all over the map. There are days that I'm anxious, days that I'm discouraged, days that I'm filled with joy and excited. It's just absolutely all over the map. And so I just write down what I'm feeling. I just describe why I'm feeling that way. And then I write a statement or say a prayer about what I think I need from God in my relationship with Him on that very day. So this is what it sounds like. I want to give you a couple of examples here that might help to make that some sense in your own mind. Here's here's one from a couple of weeks ago. Let's see. I'm on the wrong page. Here we go. It says I'm feeling relieved, excited, and present. Relieved. That's a bit personal. I'm not going to read all that. Here's what I said about excited. Excited about this trip. I I was uh, actually on a plane when I wrote this. Some friends of ours invited Hillary and I to go on a trip with them, which I'll say more about in just a minute. So I was excited about this trip. Overcome with gratitude for the generosity of others and the timing of the trip. You, Lord, are so very good to me. I love my wife. Can't wait to be with her. Kids, were staying at home. So grateful for the sweetness that has come to our relationship over the years. And I feel present what I mean by that. I feel fully here in this moment, not overwhelmed by the things I didn't get to before I left town, not distracted by the details, but present in this moment, trusting that God is in control, that my kids will be okay, and that I need this rest. And then what I need, Father, would you help me to be present in every moment each day of this trip and aware of it when I'm not? You know, that took me four or five minutes just to kind of center my heart on what I was about to do. Here's another example, just so you can hear how it varies. This was from just this week. I wrote, Today I'm feeling discouraged and anxious. This was uh, Monday, I think. It is connected to all I have to do, and it always feels overwhelming. I haven't quite found the rhythm of doing the things I need to do and, and being present with God in them. I'd, I'd like to find that rhythm. So my prayer today is just to experience a non-anxious, trusting presence, dependence. For whatever comes, whatever doesn't get done, just aware of how I'm doing and aware of my ever-deepening need for Jesus. That, that was Monday. And you can see this. I might have showed you this. I, I know I did the first service. I can't remember if I did it here. It's just about two-thirds of a page in a journal entry, maybe maybe five minutes. And then the other thing that I do, and I don't do both things every day, but the other thing that helps me, and I think I shared this when I taught on prayer last time, um, I taught on prayer down here, but the other thing that I do is I just pray a short prayer that begins with God, you are. Every sentence begins with God, you are. So God, you are sovereign. God, you are trustworthy. You are enough. For me in my anxious moments today, you are good always. Um, You are peace, your son. His name is the Prince of Peace. You are faithful to me. You never change. And on and on I go for as many um, adjectives that describe his character that come to mind. That might be two minutes, it might be five. But I just... It centers me, it helps me be less distracted, it allows me to then sit a little bit more connected in my reading. And, and then the other, only other thought that I'll say before I, I show you some examples of how I read and, and what, it means, what it means as I read it, um, I, all I'm thinking about right now when I read, I'm actually reading from Genesis, Psalms, and Matthew Sometimes all three, sometimes just one of those. I'm reading through the Bible right now, and I know that it requires about four chapters a day to get through the Bible in a year. So I'm just reading four or more chapters a day. I've read way further in Psalms, for example, than I have Matthew, farther in Matthew, than I have Genesis. I'm just just reading in one of those three places. And then, of course, as I finish a book, I'll just move on to the next one and, and continue that. Journey, but the only thing that's in my mind right now—I'm not making hardly any notes, maybe a few in my Bible—but the only thing that's in my mind right now is just what is the author saying about God, and what is the author saying about me? That's that's all that's in my mind as I read. I just, what's the author saying about God, and what's the author saying about me? And I'll give you some examples of, of this as well. Take your Bible out if you would, and open to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one verse one. And I'll set the context here. I I mentioned a moment ago that Hillary and I uh, went on a trip with some friends. This this is a a trip that some friends in Nashville and also some friends in Arizona take us on. They've done it for the last couple of years, and and I'm not going to belabor this because it'll just make you jealous, but uh, they took us to Maui this year. Unbelievable. I mean, in a dead of winter, it's just, you know, it couldn't have been better. And we were, Hillary and I were staying up on this ridge and just a modest place up on the ridge, had a very little deck, but out on the deck you could see a lot of water between Maui and two other islands. And so, you know, the time change is about four hours, so I was waking up about 3.30 or 4 in the morning and um, I couldn't sleep, so I was just getting up, especially the first few days, and, and I'd go sit on this deck, this porch, and and just watch the sun. The sun would come up from behind me over the ridge and and then you could just start seeing it coming down sky and then onto the water and just couldn't wait for that sun to hit the water where i could start watching the whales jump just incredible moment you can picture it and so i was sitting there and i had read a ton of psalms and and a ton of matthew and i I like to mix it up so i switched over to genesis on this first morning that i was there and in this setting this is what i read it says genesis 1 the creation In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Formless and void, darkness, waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And of course, this light is coming up over my shoulder. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was evening, there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made this expanse, separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. There was evening and there was morning, a second day. Of course, that's what I'm looking at, the heavens above the water as the sun is lighting them. Then God said, verse 9, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. Now, I don't know if you know this, Know much about the Hawaiian Islands, but they are former volcanoes. Some that continue to erupt, and the islands continue to get bigger as the lava flows and then melt. I mean, then hardens. And so I'm looking at these two cones islands that are coming up, that have come up out of the water, and I'm just imagining in my head, water everywhere, heavens, some other water somewhere that we have never seen, I don't know how that worked, but I'm imagining this, and I'm imagining the dry land, which is just what this looks like, because it's what it is, coming up out of the water, and the only thing I could think about was, man, that must have been loud, like earth, land, dry land, just I mean, it must have been loud, incredible, incredible creation. Verse ten it says that God called the dry land earth and waters he called seas and he saw that it was good. And then of course he goes on to talk about the vegetation, the plants and the animals he creates. And then he ends this chapter with his most prized creation, you and me, which he calls very good. So I just ask the question when I finish the chapter: What is it that the author is? Moses is saying about God? Well, very simply, it's that God is the creator. Lots that we could describe that, lots of ways that we could explain that. But God is creator. That's what he's saying about God. And what's he saying about me? Well, that God created all of this for me. You ever read the end of chapter one? Chapter two, you ever looked at all that? Where God talks about your kingdom rule over his creation? That you are entrusted with gifts and the mind, the strength and the talent to rule over what God created. That all of that was made for his most prized creations. It's like, whoa, all this for you and me to have dominion over, to enjoy, to find pleasure in. That beauty reflects the goodness of God and he made it for us. So I just went through my day with that in the back of my head. Everything I saw, everything that was beautiful was made for you and me. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? Powerful thought. Turn over to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. I've been in the book of Psalms a good bit um, over the last couple of months. And uh, I taught Psalm 119 up at Brentwood, and I stayed in Psalm 119 uh, for several weeks after that and continued to come back to it. And um, it's, it blows my mind how uh, the author, of course, describes this. If you remember Lloyd's teaching down here, the delight and the love that he has for God's Word. It's 176 verses of that, if you know the psalm. And just incredible how he goes through it. And And the reason that I've come back to it so many times over the last couple of months is that I've been wrestling with how you find delight in God's word when you're sad. You see, over the last couple of months, about two months ago, I realized that I was struggling with depression. And um, I was pretty certain it was depression because I've experienced it one other time in my life about eight years ago. And I checked it with my wife and checked it with a close friend and, and both of them said, yeah, I think you probably are and encouraged me to go get help and so I went and saw a psychiatrist who affirmed it and And uh, the clinical term is major depressive disorder. That, that's what I'm struggling with right now. And uh, I'll describe it a little bit just so you have a picture of it for me in my own life. I'm, I'm just uh, I've just been very discouraged, just very down. Things that are... Or even good feel discouraging to me. Somebody could say something about church that's really good and I'll somehow hear the negative in it. It's been easier to connect at fellowship. Well, it wasn't for 16 years. You know, just stuff like that. And, um, and so I've just wrestled with that. It's been difficult for me. My energy's been low. I've been pretty anxious. And, um, and, and it's just been hard. A lot of that, especially in the first couple of weeks, felt really numb. Just kind of a malaise. And I think there are lots of reasons for that in in my life. I'm not sure that I've put my finger on on any one of them, like, hey, this is it. I I haven't gotten there, honestly. I've just been wrestling with what might be true and what might have caused it. And I I will tell you this, leading a church is hard. It's just hard. I'm not saying by any stretch that it's any harder than what you do. I don't mean that at all. I, I just mean that it's hard. It's um, messy. Relationships are messy and, and difficult. I know that for me, my, what's true in my own life is that is that I, I can I can run past my emotions, you know? You can only run past your emotions for so long. Your emotional life is so connected to your spiritual life that you can only do that for so long, and then those emotions are going to c- catch up with you in some way or another. And so I run past my emotions. That collects. I get driven and motivated and trying to climb the next hill and whatever, and... And, uh, and those things have just caught up to me some. You know, if, if you've ever really um, been uh, working hard in a, sh- in a season, you've been burning on both ends, morning and night, and, and uh, you finally get a couple of days off, and, and uh, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it has to me, and you wake up and you're sick physically. You kind of finally let down from all that adrenaline, and you're sick. That's what happened to me. I just finally kind of got my head up, relaxed a little bit, and discovered that I was sick emotionally. I wasn't doing as well as I thought I was doing. I know that there's a different energy, kind of a motivation, maybe is a better word, in me, what has driven me for the last 20 years, honestly, for my 20s and 30s, this warrior energy that wants to climb the next hill and wants to push ahead. That's just waning in me. I I think some of that's just midlife. Some of your older guys could probably help me walk through this a little bit. But I know that that energy is waning in me, and I, I know that I'm finding... Kind of energy or motivation from a different place, a a different well, a deeper well. I'm sure there'll be other transitions like this in my life where it changes again. But I'm not quite sure how to access that well. I'm not even sure how to describe that well right now. I just I just know it when I feel it, and it feels like God's preparing me or transitioning me into a new season. So I know that's true about it. I I know this as well. I've gotten a ton of help, and and the help has been so good. Um, I got on some medicine, and uh, for the last month or so, that's really begun to help. I'm I'm definitely improving incrementally. What was so numb and kind of malaise now feels um, maybe more real, like the sadness feels more specific. I can kind of poke around in it as opposed to just not knowing what to do with it. That's been good and encouraging. To me, and so I'm grateful for that. I, I'm, I'm grateful for the help there, and there's a team that's been helping me in that way. Uh, I've, I've been doing counseling, which I've done many times in my life. That's been honest and rich for my soul. Leadership team of the elders have walked with me from day one. They knew the men, and I knew, and they're an incredible group of of men who have loved and supported me all along the way, and. And so it's, it's, it's in some ways been sweet. You know, my, my family says they like the slower, sadder Bill. <laughs> they like that guy. And, you know, there's some things about it that I like as well. Things that are very hard, but things that I like about it as well. And, and I wanted to tell you this morning for two reasons. One is I just wanted you to know. It's just, I mean, I, I can't walk in here and pretend like something else is true. I just wanted you to know. And I wanted you to know because I know you care about me, and you care about our team and our church. And so I wanted you to know. And then second, um, I wanted you to know, because I mentioned just a minute ago, because I've been really wrestling with what it looks like to find the light in this book when you're struggling. You know, yours might not sound exactly like mine, but many of us in this room are struggling, and it's hard to make sense of both. It's hard to allow both to be true at the same time. Very, very difficult to do that. And so I've been wrestling with that, with what this book says about delight in God's word and what I've been feeling. And I'll just tell you honestly, the first couple of weeks of December, I didn't even open this book. I just couldn't. I didn't have the energy for it. I didn't know how to bring my sadness into my relationship with God. I just felt very stuck. I'm not proud of that, but I also go, you know what, it's okay. There are times that are just like that. And then as I began to open it, I... I, I I spent all my time in December and the first part of January actually into the middle of January in the sad psalms. That's that's really all I could read. So I read through the whole book of psalms, I found all the sad psalms and I just spent my time reading those over and over. If if you need a list, I've got it. I'm not sure that the book has been written yet, the sad psalms, but I, I could write it, maybe you could help me. And uh, that's been good. It's it's given me Words when I couldn't find words, you know. King David's good about that, helping us find words that connect deeper to our lives than we might have on the tip of our tongues. And, of course, his words over time became my words. And, and what I found when I started to express my words to God was inexplicably sadness, that's explainable, and delight. That's what came out of me. It doesn't make any sense. It sounds crazy. It is crazy. It's completely counterintuitive. It really is. But, but that's what was true. And because it's what was true, I, I've been thinking a lot about it, and, and I'm really at this place where I believe that sadness and delight or pain or hurt, struggling and delight, they just walk hand in hand. They do in this life. I can't remember a moment where it was all one or all the other. You know, I just, I can't. There's always something on both sides of that. And then I had this thought, you know, I'm not sure that I could go to the heights of delight that the psalmist goes in Psalm 119. I'm not sure I can go here without going to the depths of my own soul. I just think that relationship is in some way reciprocal. My ability to go here and name what's true is to the same degree my ability to go up here and delight in God's Word. And then I found this when I started studying Psalm 119, that the psalmist actually goes to both places in this chapter. I'm not sure I'd ever seen this before. Look at verse 28 of Psalm 119. Verse 28. Psalmist writes, My soul weeps because of grief, Strengthen me according to your word. There it is. The, the word and his own grief. Now turn over to verse 50. This is my comfort and my affliction. What's your comfort in your affliction? That your word has revived me. Look at verse 143. Trouble and anguish have come upon me. Here it is. Yet your commandments, another word for the word of God, the scriptures, are my delight. I can't explain that. I'm not sure the psalmist could. But he's telling you the truth and so am I. Those two things somehow fit together. And when I read these words, they were of great encouragement to me. Now, one last place. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And I need to wrap it up. I'll be quick here. It says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, Sermon on the Mount, says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger for thirst and righteousness, for... They shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Again, just listening for what's true about God and what's true about me, and this was the thought that I had after I read this. My world, at least to a significant degree, has been turned upside down emotionally over the last two months. I read this, and I was reminded that God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. Who who does he honor? Who does he support? Who is he for? The poor in spirit. You know what that means? Those who have been humbled. That's what it means. Those who mourn, gentle. Those who continue after righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, repentant, recognize their own sin, been forgiven. This is an upside-down kingdom. There is nothing like it in the world around us. And then when I finish reading, I usually just say some short, simple prayer that comes from something that I read, it just whatever is on my mind, some thought about God or some thought about me. Now, I want to close this way. I've shared with you how I read and how I struggle at times, but keep at it, trusting in the Spirit of God to help me to understand it and the, the Father to continue to reveal himself to me, trusting in God, the Son, who has been faithful to prepare a way for me for this kind of relationship. And so I I just want to leave you with this challenge this morning. Halftime is over. We just finished it. Second half is about to begin. We have four weeks left. And my challenge to you this morning is to read this book every day, until we finish the series. That's it. I don't care how long you read. I don't care where you start. I don't care what your how is. I'm just inviting you to do it for the next four weeks. Ask the Spirit of God to help you understand it. You might just listen with an ear for what God is saying or what the author is saying about God and what the author is saying about you and me. And then when you get to the end of the series... I'll just invite you to look back over the four weeks and see what God's done in your life. Okay? Would y'all stand? I'm going to send us out with the benediction that we have used throughout the series. It is the two questions that we have chosen from the Shorter Catechism of the Westminster Confession of Faith. I'll read the question, and then I'll have you join me in unison out loud to read the answer. Would you join me in this? Here's the question. What is... The chief end of man. Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Second question, what rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? Answer, the Word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. Father, we want, more than anything else, to glorify and to enjoy You. Would You remove from us the sense of obligation, duty, should, supposed to, and allow us to see this renewed with the perspective that is simply Your desire to spend time with Your most prized creation that we can read it for enjoyment, that we can read it and when we do in your words, we know your presence, we know that you yourself are there with us. So I pray that we would be faithful with what you've given for our good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.